Good morning, everybody. How are you? It's good to see you. I, I, I skipped a week, so I wasn't here last week, and I was kind of here, but not really. I'll explain in a second. Um, but we did make it to the 9 o'clock service, my wife and I, um, for the reading service, and, and we loved it. Uh, we were contemplating that last Sunday, we, I think it's the first time in the nearly three years that we've been here that we, we came to church together in the same car. We worshiped together way back there in the 9 o'clock service, and then we left together in the same car and, and went to a movie. So thanks for letting us do that. Um, so I was here, uh, but we skedaddled in and skedaddled out, and it was just uh, amazing to be able to worship here and with my spouse. So thanks for allowing that to take place. It was great, and we loved it. We just thought that Pastor Doug and Michael Camarina and the elders who read and the worship was just amazing. So I hope you guys enjoyed the reading service as well, but um, what a joy. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. So um, in last Saturday, we, were, uh, we weren't here on Saturday night. We were at a, a wedding, some long longtime friends of ours of 30 years, their daughter Katie got married, and so we went to a wedding on Saturday night and saw some people we hadn't seen for 10, 20 years, and it's like, wow, they're looking old. <laughs> and then I went home and got in front of one of those mirror things, and it's like, wow, <laughs> they look fantastic. Um, anyway, hey, last week, and if you were here, you got this little insert, like a bookmark or something you could put on your fridge to be praying for people that you would be inviting um, to Easter. So if you got one, great. If you didn't, there's some on the welcome table. Make sure you grab one and fill that out. So what I did is I took a picture of that and then I put it on my, on my home screen for my phone. So every time I tap my phone, it reminds me to, to pray for people that God loves, to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ that saved you and that saved me and needs to save others. That's why we're still here. So take advantage of that. Fill this out. Put it, put it somewhere where you, where you see it often and where you will pray for it. And then we have some, uh, like 10,000 mailers that we're sending out. So these are in the back as well. There's some, you know, grab one or two or three and hand them to somebody. It lets them know when our Easter services are, okay? So those are the welcome table as well. So two Sundays ago, I got done preaching, had a meeting, jumped on a plane out to Heath, Texas, where our church plant is becoming, it's becoming a real thing, right? And so we, we did Pastor Chris's ordination. I think there's going to be yeah, so this is part of the ordination service that we did in, um, on a Tuesday night out there. And you can just roll those as fast as you want. Um, and just some people praying uh, over them at the end of the ordination service. Um, so we got them some gifts. Uh, it was just really, really a sweet time. So let me get you up to speed. Um, April 8th. April 8th, on a Sunday morning, they're going to have their first uh, public worship service at a elementary school, brand new elementary school, right where, right where everybody lives on April 8th. And so when you, when you kind of you know, draw that line in the sand, things become real. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and, and they're getting after it, man. Like, it's crazy. Um, so we're going to do five. We had hoped to do six, but we had to push one off. So we're going to do uh, April, May, June, July, and August, five monthly services on a Sunday morning. And then September 9 of 2018 is when... Uh, we'll do our grand opening in Heath, Texas, and that's when we'll start meeting every Sunday from, from that point moving forward. So many of you are praying. You can see the prayers being answered. God is just doing amazing things, and the people that are rallying around, and the team just keeps growing, and they're talking to friends, and people want to be a part of it, and, um, and you guys are being generous towards it. So thank you so very, very much. Um, it was an awesome trip. So we were gone on a Sunday, came back on a Thursday late afternoon, and uh, it was a pretty special time, really special time. 
So keep Pastor Chris and his wife Renee and Finley and Deacon, their daughter and son. Um, keep them in your prayers, as I know you are. All right? Good to see you guys. You ready to rock and roll? We're in a book called Philippians. It's found in the New Testament, and it's four chapters long. And that's what we're going to get after this morning. But I, I want to say this. I, in, in my time of studying for this opening section, I struggled. And I, and I couldn't figure out why I was struggling. And I think I struggled because in my role of sharing God's word, it's, 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 it's a balance that I'm, I'm always want to, I want to encourage and I want to challenge, right? And God's word is both encouraging and challenging. That's just the way it is. Life's that way, right? We, we get challenged to grow and to mature, and we also want to be encouraged while we do. But I just found that this was particularly um, challenging, and it was really challenging to me. And I think the wrestling match is probably more me than it is you guys. But um, just embrace uh, what we're doing this morning. And wherever the Holy Spirit hits you, you know, go there with God. Um, and what doesn't hit you, that's completely fine as well. But it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty uh, challenging word um, for us. Okay, so you've been warned. <laughs> Somebody has come up with a great concept by putting playrooms in doctor's offices. Many parents bring their kids to the doctor because they're sick and they need the doctor to check on their kids. The playrooms are designed to distract the kids from the pain of their problem until their problem gets fixed. The playroom gives them joy in the midst of a bad situation. Well, that's the way God works. Did you know that? Even though things may not be going the way we want them to on the outside, God has designed a playroom in our soul. Mm. In the midst of our circumstances, His joy can overtake our pain and our discomfort until He makes provision for our understanding of it or for some kind of a change or for some kind of deliverance or healing. Amen? Psalm 1611 The psalmist says this, he says, You, Lord, will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's what joy is determined by, is the fullness of God. Not by circumstances, not by the happenings of life. It's the fullness of God is what brings us joy. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are grateful for your word that both encourages us and challenges us. And Lord, we open up our hearts and our minds and our lives to be challenged by you this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us, that you would uh, empower us to be the types of disciples and saints and followers of Christ that you desire for us to be. We submit our lives to you, and we ask that you have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. If you're not already there, turn to the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, we're going to do verses 1 through 11. Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers, or the elders, and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the introduction. Paul continues, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of what? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
And it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel when I was out of prison, you partook or you were partakers of God's grace as he was proclaiming God's word. For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Jesus, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What a powerful opening to his letter. So let me give you an overview or the big picture or the theology of this book that we call Philippians. As was pointed out wonderfully last weekend from Acts chapter 16, Paul visited Philippi on his second of three missionary journeys where several people trusted Christ as their Savior. One of them was Lydia and her family. The other was a Philippian jailer and his family. And so as a result, this church in Philippi was established. And so Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. It's one of a few of Paul's prison epistles or prison letters. So that's an interesting fact, okay? But Paul's imprisonment is not just an interesting background fact. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's not what it's about. Paul's imprisonment lies at the heart of his, of his letter. His imprisonment lies at the heart of his message in Philippians. See, in prison, Paul is experiencing, as you can imagine, the humiliation and the belittlement that he mentions later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Turn to Philippians 4, verse 12. This is what's happening in what Paul's experiencing in his humiliation and belittlement by being a prisoner. Chapter 4, verse 12. He says, hey man, I know how to get along with humble means. That word humble means stripped of everything. Just stripped of everything. I know, how to, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance that I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. Have we learned that? Oh man. Have we learned that? See, that same word, that word humble means, right, in verse 12, that same word is found in Philippians 2, verse 8. Check that out. And it's used to describe the humbling of Christ in his willingness to die for us. Check out chapter 2, verse 8. Being found, Paul writes this of Christ, that Christ being found in appearance as a man, he humbled, same word as what we just read about Paul, being of humble means, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and death on a cross, saved for the worst of sinners, the worst of criminals, the most humiliating form of punishment. See, in the second chapter of Philippians, we find the design or the pattern of ministry of Jesus. Check this out. Look at verses 5 through 11. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's the pattern that we're going to read about in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2. The pattern is humiliation followed by glorification. That's the pattern of Jesus' ministry. It's the pattern of Paul's ministry. That humility must come before glory. That's the way it is in God's economy. Humility must come before glory. Check this out. Let's start at verse 5. 
of chapter 2. Have this attitude, Paul writes, in yourselves. That's you, church. Put your name right there where Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, Avery and Layla, which was also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and he took the form of a slave. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and that on a cross. And for that reason also God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at that name every knee will bow on heaven and earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's humiliation followed by glorification. That's what we're called to. It's what Paul understood his life was to be about, and it's how and what he's challenging the Philippians with. This gets a little bit warm for me, as I'm sure it does for you as well. This humility followed by glory becomes the pattern of Paul's life and the vision that he holds before the Philippian church. Wow. Within this humility, this self-sacrifice, and this suffering True joy is born. Huh? Within this humility, this self-sacrifice, this suffering, true joy is born. I'm not going to stop there. But why is the next question. Why is that true? Why does humility, self-sacrifice, and suffering bring us joy? Are they an end in themselves? No. See, we, we, we heard this last week. Whereas happiness is rooted in circumstances. Joy is rooted in purpose. Happiness is rooted in circumstances. Joy is rooted in purpose. Remember a little over a decade ago, a local pastor wrote a book about purpose. Remember what that thing was called? The Purpose Driven Life. Do you know how many copies to date that's been sold? It's pushing 100 million copies. Because a lot of people might be happy but they have no joy. Their circumstances might be good. They're happy for a while. The circumstances change. They're not happy. See, happiness is rooted in circumstance. Joy is rooted in purpose. Christ had purpose. When you read about Paul, that is a man of purpose. And Paul had joy. Mm. One commentary says this. He said, the secret of Paul's joy is that he had a single mind. It's the attitude that says it makes no difference what happens to me just as long as Christ is glorified and the gospel is shared with others. Wow! This just challenges me, church, a lot. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9.23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Gosh! I love it. I love being challenged. It's uncomfortable at times, but I love it. Check this out. Look at verses 3 through 5 in chapter 1. In chapter 1 of Philippians, we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Paul says, after the greeting, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you, always offering prayer with joy when I pray for you all. What's the joy in? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. When this church was started, what he means, so if he's saying, hey, church in Anaheim Hills, my joy is when you partake in the gospel, when you participate in the gospel. So when this church was started in November of 2003 until this day, 
I take joy in your participation of the gospel. Mm. Look at verses 12 through 18. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul's all about the, our, our, our participation in the gospel. He's all about the progress of the gospel. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment, in the cause of Christ, has become well known through the whole guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Oh, Paul, you're challenging me to the core. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. But hey, man, there are some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress while in prison. What then? Only, look at man, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Is that amazing? What brings Paul joy is when we participate in the gospel, when the gospel progresses, and when the gospel is proclaimed. Is that what your joy is determined by? Is that what my joy is determined by? Mm. It makes sense to me. It just makes sense to me that the joy of the Lord is found in those things that are important to the Lord. Right? Just makes sense. Perhaps too often we find ourselves immersed by the things of the world and we wonder why the joy of the Lord escapes us. One of my favorite verses, we're going to turn there now to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. Turn there with me. This will blow your mind. It blows my mind every time, every time I read it. Hebrews 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. You guys are so obedient, man. I just keep my head down, and I just love listening to the pages go. I don't know if you're turning to Hebrews, but it just... (laughs) It does my heart well. You're like turning pages going, I don't even know where it's at, but I know he's listening. I'm just going to pretend you know exactly what you're doing. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, meaning also like Christ, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles our lives and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh man, look at this. Who for the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross. He did it out of joy. Oh my word who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Humiliation before glorification. Verse 3, consider him, right? So keep your eyes on him, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's the pattern of Jesus Christ. It's the pattern of Paul And it's the pattern that Paul is encouraging us to follow in our lives. Here's our outline for our 11 verses this morning. Paul's introduction, that's pretty simple. And Paul's commendation, he's commending the church for their participation in the gospel, which we've already pointed out. Let's read verses 1 and 2. 
of Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the greeting. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ, to all the saints in Philippi, including the elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've read any of Paul's letters, that's his traditional grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Very traditional kind of an opening for Paul. In verse 1, we see four different terms or types of people that are listed in the church. The first one is bondservants. You see that in verse 1. Then it says saints. And then it says, of course, overseers or elders and deacons. In verse 1, the second part says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And some of the saints become deacons and some of the saints become elders. So it says that we are saints, which means that we're set apart in Christ. You and I are saints in Christ. We're set apart. We're considered holy ones. We're separated for Him, for His purposes. So we're sinless because Christ's blood covers our sins. But that's, that's not what this is referring to. It's referring to saints, meaning that we're set apart for Him and for His purposes. And so He's saying to the church at Philippi, hey, you're His saints. You belong to Him. You're set apart for Him. But the first part of verse 1 When it talks about Paul and Timothy, it says that they are bondservants, not in Christ Jesus, but of Christ Jesus. All of us are saints in Christ, but Paul and Timothy are bondservants of Christ. And some of us, that's maybe the next step for us, where we need to graduate from being saints in Christ. That's who we all are, to bondservants of Christ. What's a bondservant? Hmm. It's a, it's, it's, it's a slave. No rights and no privileges. That's what Paul refers to him and Timothy as. That they have no rights, no privileges. Zero. All personal interests and ambitions had to be repressed. All. Everything about their lives related to the master. And so... right? I mean, this is just challenging, right? Is that the way I live my life? Is that the way you live your life? We're saints in Christ, but are we ready to be bondservants of Christ? Well, I don't like that, Pastor. Let's just skip on to verses 3 through 11. See, Paul chose his words carefully, and servant truly, as we know, characterized Paul's life. So Paul's a bondservant. Well, where do you think he learned that from, church? Look at verses 5 through 7 of chapter 2. Go to chapter 2 of Philippians. Let's read that. Verses 5 through 7. Paul says to the church at Philippi, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who, even though he existed as God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. When I love that word, he didn't grasp onto that. He let it go. But he emptied himself. And he took something else. He took the form of a bond servant. Christ chose that. And so Paul chose that as well. If the term bond servant characterized the Lord Jesus Christ, then it was equally appropriate for Paul and equally appropriate for us today. Now let's talk about grace and peace. Maybe that's a little bit more comfortable. Go back to... Verse 2 of chapter 1, grace and peace. Always used by Paul in his greetings. Grace and peace have a source. 
And it's mentioned in verse 2. There's a source. Where does grace and peace come from? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, church, they're inseparable. They find their source in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where grace and that's where peace come from. They're inseparable. Let me ask you, who in here does not want peace in their life? Raise your hand. We all want peace. But the key to peace is mentioned first. It's God's grace. The key to peace, the key to joy is found in God's grace. Grace and peace to you. The key is God's grace. Well, what is God's grace to us? What's God's grace to us? It's found in Jesus, the Messiah, who delivered us from our sins and covers our sins through His blood. That's the grace of God. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that empowers us and emboldens us and gives us wisdom. It's the Word of God. God has spoken to us. That is a grace of His for us. His Word is a grace of His. It's the ability to drop to our knees or stand up, eyes open or eyes shut, driving or walking or whatever, that we can pray. We can pray to God. And He doesn't say, hey, turn down the radio. Not that that's a bad idea. He doesn't say, get rid of the background noise. We can go to Him 24-7. We can talk to God. That's a grace that He's given us. Another grace is the church. One another, where we learn from one another as iron sharpens iron. We can encourage one another and hold one another up. See, if you're not experiencing His peace, it's almost a certainty that you're not experiencing some part or any part of His grace. You haven't accepted Christ. You're not in His Word. You're not on your knees in prayer. You're not involved in the body of Christ. If you don't experience His peace, it's because some part of His grace is missing or lacking in your life. C.S. Lewis said this, He said, God gives his gifts where he finds the vessel empty enough to receive them. Our lives are so full of other stuff, God's just trying to find a way in. And so God, because he loves us, he says, let me help you. And he kind of turns our lives upside down and he just starts shaking us until everything's kind of empty. And then we replace that stuff with the things of the Lord and the grace of the Lord and we start to experience his peace and his joy. And we say, oh, thank you, Lord. That was hard, but I'm just so much better off because of it. The second part of our outline is Paul's commendation found in verses 3 through 11. Verse 1, as we already articulated, reveals clearly that this letter is written to all the saints that are in Philippi. And so when he's talking to, he's talking to the church, like, I don't know if it was, you know, 50 people or 5,000 people, but he's talking to everybody in that church, right? That's what it says in verse 1, to all the saints. And so I wonder, I hope, and I trust that Paul would write the same things about the Rock Community Church of Anaheim Hills that he writes to them in verses 3 through 7. Would he write the same thing about this church as he writes to them in verses 3 through 7? Let's see. Paul says, church at Philippi, he says, Anaheim Hills, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Why Anaheim Hills? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began this work back in 2003 will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of getting God's grace, his word, out with me. Amen? Love it. More personally, we can kind of personalize that this way. Can we... Can we do the same thing? Can we thank God for and remember others and offer prayer with joy for their participation in the gospel? We can do that just like Paul. 
I hope you're doing that. And conversely, who might be thanking the Lord for you and for me for the very same reason? Who, 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 right? Who's thanking the Lord for you and who's thanking the Lord for me for our participation in the gospel? How are we all participating in the gospel, in the joy that it gave Christ and the joy that it gave Paul? See, if we continue to live as saints in Christ and bondservants of Christ, then our good work for Christ will continue to be perfected, which is what it says in verse 6, that he who began a good work will perfect it. And then it says, until the day of Christ Jesus, which means we must always be forward-thinking. He'll perfect it until the day of Christ. Not in this moment, like, okay, we're done, we've reached the pinnacle. No. We always must be asking, what next, Lord? What next? What next as a saint? What next as a servant? What next as a church? So for me, it's like, I'm just like, what next, Lord? I love that. Where's the next church plant going to go, Lord? Five miles that way? Two miles that way? Another state? I don't know. But I never want to be afraid of saying what next because he's perfecting his work and his church and the saints within it. Love it. Verses 8 through 11 wind down this section so powerfully. Let's read 8 through 11. For God is my witness how I long for you, for you all, with the affection of Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things in life that are excellent in order to be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes only through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 8 blows my mind. In verse 8, Paul, using the Lord as his witness. Wow. Don't mess there. Paul says, God is my witness. Using the Lord as his witness, he has an affection for God's people that mirrors the affection of Jesus Christ. Whoa! That's what Paul's saying. That he loves the church as much as Christ does. And it's just true of Paul's life. There's nothing about reading his works where you realize that that's not true. It's totally true. And that challenges me. And that's where all Paul's joy is from. It's the joy that Christ had. Right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy is found in advancing the purposes of the Almighty God. And so what Paul desires and what Paul prays in the remaining three verses, 9, 10, and 11, reflect the heart of Christ for us. And they're foundational for the life of every Christian. And here's what verse 9 says. And this I pray. He's praying the heart of Christ, right? That your love may abound still more and more. But it's not just about loving more. We have to do it in real knowledge and discernment, which means the only way we really truly know how to love the right way is we've got to be immersed in the Word of God. That's what it means. The gospel message is a message of God's love for us. And so we learn about that message. We learn about God's love because God's love is fierce as Christ's sacrificially displayed on a wooden cross. That is a picture of fierce love. That our love would abound more and more will require us to be fierce as well. Having genuine spiritual knowledge of God and depth of insight into His ways is what enables us to love God and others more. Let me say that again. Having a genuine spiritual knowledge of God and depth of insight into His ways because of His Word, that's what enables us to love God 
and others more. And that's why Paul writes, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And then he says, so that. And so that means this is what your life will look like. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. That means that you'll be able to discern how to live life and make wise decisions. You'll be able to discern what's best. You'll be pure and blameless when Christ comes or you go to see Christ. You'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness which is found only in Jesus Christ. And all that will be what brings praise and glory to God, which is how verse 11 ends. Is that a challenging word or what? It just is for me. That, that our joy is rooted in purpose. And the purpose is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where our joy comes from. May we, like Christ, may we, like Paul, experience the joy of the Lord because our fierce love, because of our fierce love for His purposes, for His people, for His plans, for the proclamation of His gospel, and our participation in it. Good word for us. I'm going to pray us out and invite the worship team up. They're going to lead us in a song or two to close up our time. But as I pray, or when I'm done praying and after our time of worship's over, if you need prayer, our prayer team's available down here in the corner. Please see somebody on our prayer team if you need prayer for anything. It is really good to be with you guys. Love it. Love doing this. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for a challenging word this morning. Lord, I know it's just been in my, in my soul for the last couple of days. And it's been uncomfortable for the better part of those last few days. But that's okay. Lord, I want to be challenged by you. I want to have the joy that Christ uh, lived for and that Paul lived for. Lord, I want to have a life of purpose, not a life that's driven by circumstance. Lord, we thank you for this challenging letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi while he was in prison. May we calibrate our lives according to how it is that you are moving in us, Holy Spirit, as you teach us and train us and challenge us. Lord, have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.